Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Hi, I'm Jessica Riano, past president of the Society of Women Engineers and district operations manager at Amerisource Bergen. Welcome to the We 18 podcast series. We're broadcasting from the Minneapolis Convention Center in the We 18 Spark Center. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Cindy Kent. Cindy just finished the We 18 opening keynote address, Breaking Through Starts With You. She shared how she lives and works intentionally and her approach to helping and mentoring others as so many have done for her. We're going to continue this conversation and answer some of the questions raised from the attendees throughout her keynote address. Cindy is a widely admired healthcare veteran with more than 25 years in the industry. Formerly the president and general manager for the 3M Infection Prevention Division, she led a $1.6 billion business committed to keeping patients safe from healthcare-associated infections and complications. Cindy holds a BS in Industrial Engineering from Northwestern University, as well as an MBA in Marketing and a Master of Divinity from Vanderbilt University. Cindy has been recognized by Lead 360 Magazine as its 2018 Executive of the Year, and last year, Black Enterprise Magazine ranked her as one of the top 100 most powerful women in business. Cindy was also a sweet Suzanne Genesis Upward Mobility Award winner in 2013, among many other recognitions throughout her career. Thank you, Cindy, for extending your time here with us at We 18 and joining me in the Spark Center. Thank you so much, Jessica. It is absolutely my pleasure to be here with you all. This has been an amazing morning. So throughout your keynote, we asked attendees to submit questions to you through social media using the hashtag AskSWE. So many great questions were asked, and unfortunately, we just didn't have enough time to cover them all. So, Cindy, we'd like to pose some of those questions to you now. Perfect. So the first question that stood out to me was, you helped start a strong women's network in your company and one of your previous employers. Can you talk about how to create a women's network and things you found successful? So... The most important thing I found in starting a strong employee resource network, whether it be women or any other network, is having senior executive support. So in my case, it had been launched, but it was working at a grassroots level, a lot of motivated women at lower levels of the organization. And what was a distinct difference that really increased and accelerated the momentum was when the CEO sanctioned it and made it a business priority, much like uh any other financial objective of the company. And so people wanted to be a part of something that they knew that the CEO was sponsoring and underwriting. And not only did it did we get the support, he would mention it in his town halls and his communications meetings of how important it was. He would also ensure that we had the funding to do signature events and to attract uh, people to create programs that we thought were aligned with the priorities. And so that would be the two biggest things is not trying to do everything yourself and make sure you have a strong leadership team, but to ensure that it's sanctioned and supported at the highest levels of the organization. I think that's great advice because if, you know, if it's not, doesn't have that sponsorship, it's just can drop off the radar because it's not a priority and it just becomes something extra to do. And people don't appreciate that they don't get credit for it in their performance review. You spend a lot of time, you work really 
really hard. But until it's a priority within the organization, it's treated as an extracurricular that could just drop if you get too busy. Once it's a priority and you've been assigned by the CEO, it's most likely going to get the support that it needs for you to get credit for it when the performance review comes. So in your keynote, you mentioned that it's important to have a hire a person wear your T-shirt. So basically someone that can be your sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how you can find someone to wear your T-shirt or you know, how you initiate a relationship of that type? Yes. So uh, a couple of things that I would say, I get this question quite often. Sometimes your mentors who people who just give you advice about you, not necessarily talk to other people about you can become a sponsor if they're high enough, senior enough, and can make things happen. However, you can't just go, unlike a mentor, and ask someone to be your sponsor. Because I use this analogy. I don't know if it's a good one, but I use it all the time, so it's stuck in my head. It's almost like asking somebody to write a check for one of your bills, right? I want to advance. Can you give me some of your credibility in order to help me advance? You kind of, it's awkward to ask somebody to do that. But what you can do is be a great protege. There is actually a guide by the center for Talent Innovation, CTI, that they wrote on um, the responsibilities of a good protege to make yourself attractive because it is a two-way relationship. It's not just them helping you, but how do you make your sponsor look good as well? And how do you show up to make people see that sparkle in your eye, to see your curiosity? Sometimes it's that, just being curious, being willing to go beyond your job description. It really does get the attention of senior leaders of the organization. That's what happened to me. I was a young engineer, my very first sponsor, and I volunteered to be on the company's diversity committee. And um, it was before ERNs and all of that. And the executive sponsor of the diversity and inclusion committee was a senior vice president of operations. And after three or four meetings, I always had ideas. When there were assignments, I'd say, I do it. And I was so enthusiastic that he asked me to lunch three months later. And we had maybe two lunches. And the next question was not about the DNI work, but what do you want to do with your career? And that changed everything. Eight months later, I was in a completely different role because of his sponsorship. And that's what it looks like. That's a really great story because I think, you know, sometimes people don't think that those out of the box experiences, you know, stepping up for things that aren't in their traditional role can lead to those kind of relationships. Yeah, it was it was so strong and positive. And then he went back to the engineering VP to advocate for me to move um, to a different role. And I actually went to sales. So it was so unselfish because he wasn't advocating for me to come out of go to his department. He was advocating for me to have the best career at the company, which was Eli Lilly at the time. And so, yeah, he had no skin in the game because it wasn't his benefit. It was just overall where I could shine best. So one of the questions came up is, you know, you have a STEM degree, uh, you know, going back to your industrial engineering degree. We both have IE degrees. So great backgrounds. Yes. Yes. I I knew I liked you. (laughs) (laughs) I always say my dean when I was in college said that engineering is one of the best liberal arts degrees you can have because it covers so many areas. And I think IE like epitomizes that because we can work in every industry. Um, But so, you know, thinking back over your career, um, do you think of one of the most impactful experiences you've had in, you know, STEM related or yes, that your degree, engineering degree really helped lead you to be able to do it, it did. And this is when my earlier part of my in the earlier part of my career. And I was a young engineer. And what I did not appreciate is when we're degreed and we come into these organizations, we really do have 
we can have influence early. And I used to lead these project teams and every single member, I had six guys on my project teams. I was the only female, I was new, fresh graduate, and everyone was not only older, they had been working in the field longer than I had been alive. Like I was something <laughs> below their children, whatever that was. And I would have all these crazy ideas of, you know, let's move the water tank on the third floor to create more floor space to optimize the lab space. And they had never been done. And I was like, that's okay. Let's change the guidelines. Right. <laughs> and so I guess, and, and we ultimately did. So there was a give and take one, they learned to appreciate and trust newer ideas um, that were backed up by data, right, of, of being an engineer. But the other thing I would say is it taught me sometimes you got to go slow to go fast when you're introducing new ideas and concepts and they're new to an organization that has been very successful doing what they've been doing for a long time. Leadership may require you, good leadership, to slow down and introduce the ideas in bite-sized pieces. Um, the only thing, because I think it's funny that I'll share. Now, when I was in engineering, I drove the teams crazy because I was very creative. And they're like, oh, my God, can't you just stick to the script? <laughs> but then when I got into marketing where you would think they would celebrate it, then they're like, why do we have to use another Excel spreadsheet? They thought I was too technical. And so I have found throughout my career, I've always been the woman without a home. I don't easily fit in anybody's box. But I honestly think that the, the engineering as a base, industrial engineering in particular, is such a great base for creative problem solving that it doesn't matter what the function is. So. Yeah, I think that you know, when, um, right before while we were getting the podcast set up, a couple of students came up and you were talking to them about engineering degrees. Yeah. And um, one of the things you mentioned to them was, you know, one of the great things about having an engineering degree is you'll always have a job, no always. matter it's, you know, so flexible. And I've definitely found that in my career, as we talked about when I got laid off, I was able to quickly bounce yeah. back, even though I changed industries, um, find a position quickly. Um, can you talk about, you know, the flexibility that you find with engineering degrees? Yes. So that is the great thing. And it's so fascinating to me because even when I was doing, I, I've always taken the path less travel. And so I remember even when I was in uh, graduate school and I was doing both the MBA and the MDiv at the same time, nobody asked about the Divinity. Like that was such a strange combination. Nobody had ever done that combination at Vanderbilt before. And the deans were uh, worked with me to create that program. And nobody cared about that. They wanted to talk about the engineering as a foundation and a great platform and how it would make me a more strategic marketer. And I just went with it. It's absolutely true. And I even think about, you know, now I'm in transition now. I, I left 3M in June and haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. I did just last week join the Best Buy Board of Directors. So that was important for my development. But even in those interviews, we talked about um, that strategic thinking, the ability to collaborate, to, to have strategic thinking and then collaborate well. It's just an awesome combination for life skills and life's work, regardless on in a job in a board position or in a senior executive position. It allows that flexibility. But I also approach my career with that kind of critical thinking. You know, I always gravitated to challenging roles because it, we, we are wired to solve problems. And so, and I, you and I were just talking about that, that normally women get sent to turn things around, hard <laughs> things to do, whether it's a business turnaround or something not working in a manufacturing plant that needs to be more efficient or have the line optimized or whatever. And I think the engineering degree really sets us up to solve complex problems because we break it down into the 
piece, respective pieces, put it together and ultimately come out the end. When you look at the problem, it may seem overwhelming, but when you start to break it up into respective pieces, it gets easier. Mm -hmm. And I approach my career that way. What other skills do I need in my toolkit? Am I going to get it here? What kind of roles? And even if it's something scary and non-traditional, I will embrace it knowing that it will be another tool to help me down the line. That's great advice. You know, that's one thing that I've done a lot of project management and it's, you know, uh, I work with someone that she always says you can only eat like if you're going to eat the elephant one bite at a time. time. I love that quote. That's one of my favorites too. Yeah. So solving those big problems, you can only just take it one, one step at a, at a time. time. Hey. You learn that because you're an engineer and probably yeah. an industrial engineer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned you're in a career transition right now. How did you decide it was time to make a change? I know that can be, you know, especially engineers, a lot of times you get into a position, it's comfortable, you want to, you know, stay. stay. Yeah. How have you um, made those decisions? And I know you've changed other companies yeah, in the past yeah. too. How have you made those decisions? So one of the things that I'll say about transitions is you know, and the benefit for me is that it's never been because the companies were bad. I have had the privilege and the blessing of working for just signature companies in the healthcare industry. So one of the rules is they had to be healthcare. That was very important. And even though 3M, my most recent company, is a diversified industrial, they have a very large, people don't realize, $6 billion healthcare franchise. But for me, it was important for me to stay uh, in a long-term career within the healthcare space and recognizing that it would be important at a diversified industrial company to get other experiences outside of healthcare to be more well-rounded because that was important to that organization. But for me, this is such a critical time to be in healthcare and pivotal time. And I thought to myself, I can't imagine going and spending time outside of this industry it's in the next three to five years at such a critical time. And so even though it meant leaving without a job, and I know people say that is the cardinal rule of employment, you never leave one thing without the next. I equate it to Tarz, I call it Tarzan employment or Tarzan dating, not leaving one rope until you got the next rope <laughs> in hand. Um, but in this case, it really was the best time of, and, and what it's been a blessing and a gift of giving me time to be really intentional about what I wanted to do next. And so I spent the first three weeks just crystallizing it so I can articulate it to others. I have found that when you are have a reputation of being good at your job and being good at what you do, when you say, this is what I want, people go and try to make that happen. I think the universe responds in kind. And so it has been amazing taking that time to crystallize what I want to do and have some amazing opportunities come my way. Now, I won't reveal or haven't decided on this podcast before now <laughs> what I'm going to do. So no secrets being exposed on the podcast. But what I will say is there have not been a shortage of opportunities. And I'm quite thrilled about that. Yeah, it's right now. It's a great time to be in the market looking for a it new is, position. There's a shortage of talent, and I don't. I'm not encouraging people to go leave your jobs. Don't do that unless you really <laughs> unless want you to. want to. Yes, <laughs> but I will tell you what is amazing is that the war on talent has started. It is official in full effect. I will tell you that. Um, People recognize that there's such a dearth of talent with the baby boomers leaving. Not only is there a war on talent um, coming from entry level, but the fact is that we can't 
get people into those roles that senior leaders are leaving fast enough. So there will be and is an acceleration of development through the pipeline so that you're prepared for those roles as they come available. So it's a great time, in my opinion, to start companies. We've never seen as many female entrepreneurs as we see right now. It's a great time to uh, more venture funding is going towards women-owned businesses. It's a great time to be in corporate America because of the talent and the broad recognition of the need for women in more senior empowered roles of leadership. So it's just great overall to be a woman in business, but in technical with the technical capabilities in particular. Yeah, it really is. You know, companies are realizing the value of having a diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of statistics that companies that have women on their boards and women in senior leadership are producing better returns on capital, better returns on investments, shareholder value across the board. Every single financial metric is better with diverse leadership teams and boards. So you don't have that group think. You get different ideas, which is really important. It's harder to manage, right? Because you got all these ideas (laughs) coming at you. But the outcome is better because it's well thought out. The decisions are well considered before becoming a business strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at a work meeting yesterday and we were talking about unity versus diversity Mm -hmm. and how, you know, sometimes you really need the teamwork, but other times you need to have those challenges and risk-taking sides to come together. It absolutely is. I always say the hardest job in having a diverse team is the boss being able to manage, first hiring for it, recognizing the value. And and can I just take a pause because this is a nit for me. So if I may for a second, it's not even just diversity, but inclusion, because you can get people to the table, diverse people to the table, but unless you give them a voice and make sure that they're heard, it doesn't matter that you have diversity around the table. And so I would just make you know, a plea for every executive and every organization to make inclusion a priority as well, not just uh, diversity, but inclusion. And some companies are even taking it to the next level and talking about belonging, that not only do you are your opinions welcome and valued, but that you have a sense of belonging in the organization. And that, to me, is the epitome of somebody who gets it and understands the value that diverse workforce brings. Yes, because if you don't feel like you can fit in, you're not going to want to go there every day. You know, if going to work is... If it makes you want to cry when you're going there every day, probably not the don't best environment go. for you. And right. you're going to give your best. And when the, it requires extra effort on a project, you're going to volunteer. All those things are so important and the business benefits from it. Well, Cindy, thank you for sharing this time with me after your keynote. Um, it's yes. been a busy morning for you. So. It's a little crazy, but in a good way, a good kind of crazy. <laughs> thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud. If you have not already made plans to be part of the largest gathering of women engineers in the world, visit our We18 conference site, we18.swe.org. Information on housing, registration, and keynote speakers is now available.